Dr. Joanna Seibert said in what was for me a very memorable sermon, she said, it's too bad attendance is so low in the summer because the readings during Pentecost give us wonderful lessons for our spiritual journey. And that's true of today's gospel. A disciple asked Jesus to teach him how to pray. And he complied, as was the custom for rabbis in Jesus' time. Jesus gave his disciples a prayer, which is repeated by disciples from that time to this. The Lord's Prayer found in Luke's Gospel reading for today is almost the same as the one recorded in the King James translation of Matthew, which was the one that we use in so many of our liturgies in the Book of Common Prayer. It is the one most of us can repeat from memory, even when we're gravely ill, deeply troubled, or filled with fear. It's certainly more familiar than the version in today's reading. However, this one is Luke is probably, scholars tell us, the oldest version. And because it is the oldest, many scholars presume it most closely reflects the words that Jesus actually said. In some respects, I like the New Revised Standard translation in today's reading from Luke much better because of its simplicity and is even better than the most familiar and poetic King James translation. And that is especially true in the plea, do not bring us to the time of trial. Rather than the plea that we have in in King James translation, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil as though God was somehow leading us to be tempted and commit a sin. I think it's petty, and I'm sure it's a little irreverent. But when I'm not leading worship, it bothers me to the extent that I simply remain silent or during that passage or mumble very quietly, save us from the time of trial. In seminary, I had learned that the word temptation in Codex in Greek, from which the Bible is translated, is more ambiguous in meaning than in our language. It can also mean trial, suffering, or persecution. Some of the early church fathers had trouble with this phrase as well, and they translated it to mean, do not allow us to fall into temptation. They must not have thought that our loving Father would ever lead us into a trap. Actually, if you read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew in the New Revised Standard Translation, which is now very widely used in our Anglican communion, it also says, save us from the time of trial, as well as the reading that we had from Luke today. Still, the Lord's Prayer from the King James Version is such has such an emotional impact on us that most of us ignore an inaccurate translation. The beauty of the English prose and the familiarity of the words override our concerns about false translation. The 
The Lord's prayers recorded in Luke also deviates from the one in Matthew in all translations by saying, Forgive us our sins, which I think makes more sense to us today than forgive us our debts. At the time, in the culture of Jesus' time, indebtedness was a sin. And the two versions would then have had a more similar meaning. An even more subtle difference, but perhaps I think much more significant difference, is that in Luke we pray, give us each day our daily bread, rather than give us today in Matthew. We pray that our needs are met always, rather than just today. Our relationship and our dependence on God's provision are continuous rather than just for a day. I got caught up in this sermon preparation this week in the scholarly text, uh, and I have a sense that maybe some of you don't share that curiosity. At least I'm beginning to see some glassy-looking eyes at this point. <laughs> you know. It really is a fact. It's easy to get caught up in the details and the scholarly part of the translation and miss the message that God is revealing to us. The Lord's Prayer and the parables that follow the prayer reflect on our continuous reliance on God's compassionate love and God's desire to meet our needs. We are promised that if we ask, it will be given to us, seek, and we shall find that God is anxious to give us good gifts. These are lessons for the journey. That phrase, lessons for the journey, is a subtitle in a book by uh, Dr. Scott Peck. And I was caught by the title of the book, which is Golf and the Spirit. I'm an avid, although I'm a very poor golfer, I'm an avid golfer. And so the title, Golf and the Spirit, caught my eye. Now, Dr. Scott Peck was a psychiatrist. Uh, He used to be an atheist and was converted. And he's a writer with a dry sense of humor. Uh, And he became a very prolific author of Christian books. You probably have read some. And the thesis of this book is that golf is really a spiritual discipline. He contends that if Thomas Merton had known about golf, he would have convinced the prior of his abbey to build a golf course. Because he contends that golf teaches us lessons for our spiritual journey. It is, in fact, I think, a spiritual discipline. There's a great deal of truth in this book. Scott Peck says, for instance, if you can't deal with humiliation, then golf is simply not your game. (laughs) To be humiliated is golf, and and I know that statement to be true. In this case, God teaches us the spiritual discipline of humility. Today, God teaches his disciples the discipline of intercessory prayer. 
to discipline is what disciples do. They follow. And however some of us, uh, the word discipline can have a kind of negative reaction. I can't help but thinking of uh, screaming profane coaches in football and even more profane screaming drill instructors in the Marine Corps and their demand for very strict compliance to the rules and and their orders. But compliance with a spiritual discipline creates a very positive growth in the depths of our relationship to God. Mary Helen Hedges, who just retired as your deacon here at St. Peter's, has over the years provided me spiritual direction on my journey. Her husband Harold and I had dinner and met as a Curcio reunion group to discuss our spiritual journey every Monday night for over 25 years. And Mary Helen, during that time, once uh, recommended for my reading a book by Richard Foster, who's strangely enough a Mennonite, but it is titled The Celebration of Discipline. I did read it, and I found the most profound 30-plus pages that I've ever read, I think, outside of Holy Scripture. He was talking about in that chapter the discipline of simplicity. As I said earlier, the appeal of uh, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer is its simplicity. Foster posits in his book that the source of much of our pain and much of our dissatisfaction in life comes out of our compulsion to own and to control things. He blames it partially on the value that our materialistic culture puts on ownership versus simply using things. Home ownership is considered a virtue. But he reminds us of a simpler time when we just used houses. And it was a landlord's vocation to care and to repair the house. And we simply enjoyed living in a comfortable home. As I read the book, I could see examples like our house where it's difficult to tell whether you own it or it owns you. Ownership causes stress because of the need to maintain, insure, replace, repair, paint, whatever. But Barb and I are still homeowners with all the hassle that that entails. But I did finally get rid of one source of pain and aggravation. A two and a half ton tri-hull inboard outboard motored ski boat. Soon after I read the book, I pulled my boat away from its dock space on Lake Maumel and laboriously put it on this large trailer to haul it up to Greer's Ferry for a weekend of skiing. You can't ski on Lake Maumel because it's our our drinking water source. It was a nerve-wracking, harrowing trip of switchback curves on a two-lane road that I couldn't keep the rig in. 
And after three harried hours, I was finally able to launch it into the lake at Fairfield Bay. My son and I took it out for a couple of hours in the evening to do some casting. I call it casting rather than fishing because we rarely have ever caught any fish. Suddenly the outdrive started missing. And even though the engine was running smoothly, eventually the engine had no thrust at all. And for two hours later, under darkened skies by this time, we finally paddled it with our two tiny canoe paddles to the trailer and got it out miraculously of the water to take it to Red River Marine for repairs. But rather than ruin the whole weekend, because I'd rented a condo, I decided to rent a ski boat at the marina for what I thought at that time was an extravagant price of $75 an hour. But after a couple hours, uh, the kids and their friends got tired, and so it really only cost about $150. And I took them back to the pool to relax, and then I went to Red River Marine to find out that it would cost a couple of thousand dollars to replace my outdrive. Now, I'd like to tell you that I was wise enough to sell the boat then. <laughs> but I actually had to replace the outdrive two more times before we found that a hairline crack in the housing on the outdrive was letting water into the outdrive and burning it up. I finally got rid of the boat that winter after the engine block froze when I was unable to get to the dock at Lake Maumelle because of a sudden and unexpected ice storm and I was unable to drain the water out of the block and I hadn't put antifreeze in it and I literally gave it to the mechanic for hauling it away. He was a young man with the skills to have this boat and he had some young kids that could have used it so I gave it to him. But I was able to cancel my insurance the dock rental, and began to rent boats for the kids water skiing, and they skied very seldom. It was much more economical than owning that ski boat. That free gift to the boat, to the mechanic, was probably the finest investment return I have ever had. <laughs> I finally listened to the wisdom of Richard Foster. One of the lessons for the journey is simplicity. Another discipline is silence for contemplative prayer. As in today's gospel, intercessory prayer. Another is giving to others in, in response to God's continuing gifts to us. Spiritual disciplines are God's continuing good gifts to his disciples that enable us to grow deeper in our relationship to him. Ask, and it will be given you. Knock, and the door will be opened. Search, and you will find. That's the good news that God reveals for us in the gospel today. And that's the good news that he gives us continually.
for every day. Amen.